Hello and welcome to The Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. I'm your host, Dr. David Hardy. Today, we've got an amazing guest on our show. As always, we got a former USA Rugby Eagle, a business consultant, and current rugby coach at Life University. Welcome to the show, Phil. Philip hey, Teal. Hey, man. How's it going? Going well. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. Doing good. Just uh, excited to be on. And I uh, haven't talked to you in a long time, so I'm really uh, excited to, uh, to get the chance to talk to man and see what you're doing. This is pretty exciting stuff. Right. Absolutely. So the last time uh, myself and, and Phil uh, knew each other was way back, uh, basically over a decade ago now at uh, Life University. Uh, so at that point in time, you were gearing up for one of the Rugby World Cups and uh, and then also uh, uh, fighting for a championship title in the, in the Super League back then. Yeah, yeah, back back uh, uh, many years ago, <laughs> there was that right. my the first World Cup in 2011, yep, in New Zealand, and then uh, with uh, some of the great Life University uh, teams that we had, you know, we were able to put together back then. So yeah, great, right. great group of people and, and awesome rugby. Yeah, it's kind of been a dynasty the the Life University rugby program there, and uh, yeah, just kind of walk us through your own rugby career and uh, how all of it's being intertwined. Yeah, so I started playing my uh, my senior year of high school, actually. Uh, one of my best friends, Mac Schilling, uh, said, hey, man, you don't have to do track anymore. You can come play this fun sport where uh, we get to hit each other, and it's a great time, and everybody loves it. And we were all football guys, you know, back then. And um, right. so I played for one year, really enjoyed it, went off to play college football for a year, and was transferring to go to a different school. And so I was back home for uh, a year while I was waiting to transfer and started playing again with the Traverse Bay Blues um, up there. And the Traverse Bay Alliance is the youth team. And uh, they were like, hey, man, we know you want to go back to play football. You know, you got two years of eligibility left. But would you rather go live in a semi-abandoned house in England next to a rugby field and get paid like $100 a week? and play rugby. And I was like, well, I was 21 years old. I was like, yeah, it sounds 20, 20, 21 years old. I was like, yeah, it sounds pretty awesome. <laughs> so I went to England and played over there for a year and then came back. Uh, Scott Lawrence was a head of rugby universe of uh, life university rugby back then. And uh, rugby university is actually what we could call it. Um, right. <laughs> but, uh, but um, you know, and he had recruited me. I wanted to finish up school. And so he, uh, they offered scholarships and everything. So I went back and started playing at life and just over time, over the next couple of years, worked my way up to get the opportunity to play for the Eagles and through a little bit of good fortune for me and, uh, an unfortunate fortune for some others injuries happen, you know, you have to make your way Absolutely. as you can, as you can make it. I've had it happen to me before where someone else came in cause I got injured. Um, but at that time, you know, a couple of injuries allowed me to get in there and then played, you know, the next several years playing through the two World Cups and everything with uh, with the Eagles. Got the chance to play in England one more time on a short stint with the Saracens, which is a premiership club, and learned a ton while I was over there, um, which I've actually taken into my coaching. Um, is, there are a lot of things that I learned while I was over with the Saracens. They're a fantastic organization. And uh, just kept playing, retired right, for the second time after the 2015 World Cup. And now I just play for fun uh, with the uh, Old White uh, rugby club here in Atlanta, and then coach at Life as well. Coach Old White as well, um, but player coach with them. And then uh, I coach forwards and defense at Life with uh, Coach Colton Cariaga. 
So okay. Oh, Colton, awesome. Yeah, yeah. 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 Colton's the director of rugby over there, keeping the dynasty going. He's a great coach. He's got a great staff. Um, we're we're uh, fighting. You know, we got the D one A playoffs, which is the top level of uh, college competition in the U.S. coming up pretty soon. And so we're really excited going in. We've got a young group, but they're really athletic. They're really driven. And we've had a couple of setbacks this year on the scoreboard, but we've we've really built the team as we've come into the playoffs to to be really a really strong contender. So we're really excited about that. Amazing. Yeah, let's let's dive into well, Life University in a bit here, but yeah, you you basically have lived life of adventure because of rugby, correct? Like how many countries have you visited to or or played in? So somewhere in the range of like 13 or 14, a couple of those were for business and things like that. But yeah, okay. I think 13 or 14 countries been able to go to um, my favorites probably being New Zealand or Japan, probably two of my favorite countries that I've been lucky enough to go to and, you know, just spend all that time with such a great group of guys with the U.S. team and then meet even more people throughout that, you know, throughout that time and just, you know, fun, fun days off and all that kind of stuff or what you really remember from all those trips. The rugby is awesome as well. You know, those are great memories playing in front of lots of people and, and all that kind of stuff playing against some of the greatest rugby players, you know, of our generation been lucky enough or unlucky. So, so enough. when you said some of the best, what, what are some of the names then? What are, what are the big stars? Yeah. You want well, to so Kevin Milamo got to play against. Um, uh, so uh, Brody Retallick, who's an all black. Those are both all blacks. Kevin Milamo was actually my idol growing up and was right. fortunate enough to play against him in Chicago in 2000. Um, I, it was maybe 2013, I think is when we played against them in Chicago. And uh, he was, he was still on the squad then. Um, a few of Brian O'Driscoll, got to play against Brian O'Driscoll, Brian Habana, um, Tendai Ventura, the beast from South Africa, you know, all those, all those kind of guys, just some of the super studs um, that you see and they're just on a different level than everybody else. And you're just, you know, hanging out for dear life, working your butt off, trying to keep up with those guys. So no kidding. So you scrummed against the beast. Uh, yeah, actually did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was over here, luckily, uh, going against our tight head. I think, uh, Eric Fry, I can't remember, or maybe TT Lamas to tell, I can't remember that game, but, uh, he had to go actually against him. I didn't have to go against him. I, um, was, uh, <laughs> Was going against another monster um, hooker from uh, from South Africa, so yeah, Bismarck yeah. Duplessis is an <laughs> absolute animal. So that was uh, pretty fun. <laughs> no kidding, yeah. And what was the biggest loss you guys ever faced then? Oh, so the biggest loss. So we had a couple of them. Would have been the, the All Blacks, I think, was um, the biggest one. We it was a good game almost to halftime. And then they just opened up and just proved why they were such a world-class organization, you know, and I think it was, gosh, it might've been low seventies to six was what it ended up. And it was funny thing was after the game, they came up and they were like, man, you guys are really tackling hard, working hard out there. And I was like, man, I mean, I got to make a few tackles. We didn't miss very many, but the ball was just moving around so fast that, you know, you just, you got to see it, you know, you're not, starstruck or in awe when you're on the field you're just playing but there's moments where you just see something happen and you're just kind of like how did you guys just do that you know like that doesn't even make any sense and that's what they do every day you know because they're born you know they're born with a rugby ball in their hands those guys are so oh big time now the gap is kind of slowly closing but uh probably not not fast enough yeah in it's- our opinions what makes all these other countries such powerhouses in the sports versus right now in north america yeah time just time i mean you think about it if you took 
you know, if you took one of those guys and they're great at, everybody always says, you know, America's got the best athletes. We've got the best athletes. And don't get me wrong. There's, you know, 360 million people here. We've got fantastic athletes running around all over the place, guys that are just studs. But the sports that we play are based on being really explosive for shorter periods of time, right? Whereas rugby, you've got to be explosive over and over and over and over and over again. And those guys are fantastic athletes. But I would say just, you know, they've got a rugby ball in their hand when they're three or four years old, tossing it around, you know, and when they get into you know, under eights and things under nine years old, they're playing full on rugby, maybe not, you know, full, uh, full noise when it comes to contact, but they're playing rugby. And so you got guys that are doing that all the way through. I mean, if you took some of those guys that are super studs and you put them on a football field, like an American football field or, or in a, you know, on a basketball court, they would look like they had no idea what they were doing, you know, and right. that's kind of the right. same for us. It just takes time. You know, they're already, their brains already wired to do something when you have to think about it, they're just doing it. Right. And that's the big difference is they're already doing it because of all the, you know, all the neuroplasticity that occurs through all those years of working hard and doing all that kind of stuff that we build muscle memory for certain sports and then they build it for, you know, for other sports. But uh, I would just say it's time and just how, how good they are with being able to do little things really well. Right. Now, the biggest thing I've noticed, like, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, because you've actually played against them, but like everybody goes back to the All Blacks and just how they can dominate a game. But they can go from basically a pressure situation where they're just making tackle after tackle and look like they're just on defense. And then next thing you know, it's a turnover and they're down the other side of the field and have just scored on somebody. Yeah. Uh, and like to for them to come up and after the game and comment on how you guys were tackling and, and how hard it was uh, is one of those pieces missing is basically turning that pressure into basically when you do get that opportunity to, to just explode up the field and, and mm -hmm. hopefully, hopefully make those yards and score. Yeah. They're, you know, them and, you know, of course the other top teams in the world and, you know, professional club teams. Now they're, you know, guys get paid a lot of money to, to play rugby throughout the world. And they're able to go from like red brain to blue brain really fast. You know what I mean? And right. hot brain to full brain. And so you're, you know, if you're playing defense, you're up here and you're just, you're going, 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 cause it's all work. Right. I mean, there's a lot of technique involved too, but defense is, is work in rugby. It's just work, 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 right. Get a bet, get up off the ground, go tackle that big guy that's running at you again you know, be smart, work with your guys. But then as soon as you get that turnover or something goes your way, you've got to be able to switch that and turn it from, you know, your, your heads, everything's on fire, right? Everything's on fire. And now your body's got to still move at that same speed, but your brain has to think like, okay, I got to catch this ball. I got to move this ball. I've got to do these little things. Maybe you're kicking, maybe there's something else going on, little nuanced things that you've got to have, you know, your heart rate's got to come down. The whole thing's got to happen all at once. So that you can turn from that just crazy, crazy, crazy into your body's still moving that fast, but your brain is just isolated, right? And it's and it's calm. And that's something that that they do really well. Teams like that do really well. And I mean, they bring in, you know, and we had them too, but they bring in sports psychologists and behavioral psychologists and all this kind of stuff to just and all these different tools that they use too to just create that environment where they're able to switch from you know going a hundred miles an hour everywhere to your body's going hundred miles an hour, but your brain is just cruising kind of thing. So it's a big, it's a big difference. Well, let, let's actually dive into that because you've got both a business management degree and a psychology degree, correct? I do. You have just bachelor's degrees. Yep. Yep. Yeah. All right. So how do you go from basically the business psychology 
and everything you've explained um, sports-wise into maybe business and career then? So for me, the transition has always been interesting because I'm really goal-driven when it comes to that kind of stuff. I, I like to have some kind of end result. And in business, you do get end results, which is one reason I like sales. It's one reason I'm probably transitioning back into some more sales stuff soon. But it's kind of that longer dress. Like when does this goal end, right? Like in rugby or any sport, you you know you have this constant meter running of okay, this was the score, this was the score, this was the score. These are my stats. This was the team. Where in business, you've got to kind of create that out of that same kind of environment out of thin air, right? It's like oh man, I closed you know seventy three percent of my leads. Wow, that's great. Whereas as an athlete, you're like yeah, that's, that's cool. I guess <laughs> you know what I mean. It just it doesn't do quite the same thing. But you've right. got to take that goal-driven personality, find those, find those wins, and then enjoy them as much as you enjoyed that, you know, the sports thing. You know, your stage is very different and your goals are very different, but you take the same kind of personality that you were, you know, that you were um, exhibiting in sports and you put that into business. And the people that I found that are the most successful have been able to do that really well and keep that hunger and drive. And they don't, they don't get any of that lost um, appetite for, you know, for that continual improvement, just because they've lost some of the statistics or some of the, the specific goals that they were able to create when they were an athlete. Okay. Now you're coaching and you're also consulting within your business, correct? Uh, walk us through what you're doing right now with the consultant role and yeah, maybe yeah. how it's similar so, to the coaching aspect. Yeah. So some of the things, I mean, a lot of the things that are similar are you know, you're still educating, right? You have to educate, you have to motivate, you have to inspire people as much as you can. Um, again, different in the business world, but you still have to do those things, right? Um, my projects, I work for a, a large software company. And so right now I do a lot of technical pieces, but I'm on the side where things can go wrong sometimes. And we have to continuously educate, train and motivate the customer to stay on board and, and, and be with us when we're fixing things or creating you know, building new things for them, that kind of stuff, integrating multiple systems, um, you know, just going through all those different pieces of what makes a large software implementation work from a consulting side. Um, and, and myself currently as an independent consultant for the company is a little bit different too, because I also have to make sure that I'm, you know, keeping my, keeping engaged with them as well, because I could just kind of leave one day if I really wanted to. I don't want to. Obviously, they do a great job keeping you there, but you have to stay engaged as well and you have to keep them engaged. And so there's a lot of pieces of that, of managing things, you know, managing personalities, managing skill sets, right? Not everybody, think about sports, it's very clear what skill sets some people have. Like in baseball, if you're like a five-tool player, a four-tool player. In rugby, maybe you're a great defender, you're, you know, you're great in your set piece or you're a great ball carrier or something like that. Those are really obvious, but you have to kind of uncover those skills Maybe somebody's great at leading their team. You know, maybe somebody's super bright and technical and they can really do that kind of stuff for you on the customer side. So you have to kind of, you know, suss those things out and figure out who those players are and then put them in the right positions to hopefully succeed. And that way you're not having to do everything all the time as well, because that can get, you know, that can get a little bit overwhelming when you're having to kind of do everything, which is usually the start of a project, you kind of do everything. And then you grew, you know, you build people up so that where they can do you know, they can perform a lot more tasks than what you had to do at the beginning. So you're basically describing what rugby is, organized chaos into the business. Yeah, sports, <laughs> yeah. Sports are, all, 
right? We throw the, you know, you got a, you got a playing field, you've got players, you've got some arbitrary set of rules that somebody came up with at some point that you've got to follow, right? And then you've got to build a strategy and a team that's able to compete in different environments because you're going to have different teams that you're playing against. You're going to have different physical environments, especially rugby. You know, you're outside in the elements, you know, you could have different qualities of field, the whole kind of thing. You've got to build a team that can really withstand that. That was one big thing at life. Uh, we, we took a lot of approaches from uh, Navy SEALs. And I know that Coach Colton had consulted with Navy SEALs and things like that so that we could be um, one of the better teams in change. Change was the big thing. You know, environments change thing we went through. We lost our field at the beginning of the season. Um, obviously, you know, rugby is it's all relative. Right. But with coming out of COVID, the whole thing, you know, the guys didn't have season, a season for almost two full years. Right. Wow. Which is, of course, of course, relative to what some people lost, you know, when it comes to rugby, to sport. Right. But coming into a real season from there, like I said, we lost our field. We had a lot of turnover. Coaches got hired by other programs. Um, I know the person that I replaced, two people that I replaced, one uh, took a full time job with rugby ATL and one went back to Arkansas to coach for Arkansas State. So I took both of their jobs at the same time. Right. So it's one person doing kind of two jobs. And then Colton had to adapt from there and do a lot of the defensive work, which he hadn't had to do before. And so we just had to work from there. But one of our right. big things was surviving and thriving in change. Right. So that was a huge deal for us. No kidding. So you took on two positions, basically, coaching wise, and then you've still got your business and you're married. You've got two children and your wife's an entrepreneur as well. How how did you juggle all that all at once then when, when it hit? Um, just hold on for dear life and go. You know what I mean? Sometimes you just kind of go and whatever the, whatever the situation that gets thrown at you, you just try to maintain positivity as much as you can, right? Because that's a big deal. You know, I, you, we need to be grateful for the things that we have. I mean, I'm even on, you know, my worst days where I'm like, man, you know, you're going <sighs> what am I doing this for? This is stupid. I just want to go lay on a beach somewhere with a, you know, with a drink and enjoy myself, bring the kids and whatever, and, and go on a vacation and just say stuff it, you know, you just got to be really grateful for what you have overall, you know, and I, mean, I have two beautiful kids and a good, good career and I have a lot of, you know, fun things in the past and that I still do now, you know, that I get to do now. So I've got all those, those great things to, to continue to look forward to as well, to look back on and look forward to, so you got to maintain gratitude at all times. And that's something that gets lost sometimes. I've lost it before. We all lose it sometimes, you know, is that, is that gratitude for what we do have and, you know, the, the opportunities that we're afforded. Um, right. You know, and got to keep that perspective. Right. No kidding. How on earth do you keep your energy though? Um, coffee. What, <laughs> what, what are, yeah. What, what are some of the other things besides just, just, no, yeah, over caffeinated? Cause that, that won't be sustainable, obviously. No, 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 no. Of course not. No, 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 uh, no, just kidding. Uh, I do like coffee, but, um, no, I mean, really to be honest, it's just you it, enjoyment. I mean, I'm one of those people where I get, I get geeked up, right. When I, when I get to go coach the guys, I mean, and I, like, like I said, I enjoy my career. I really do. And there's like, there's been times where like anybody and you, you don't enjoy it for certain periods and then you get back into it and you're really after it. But you know, when I get to see the guys and coach them or play with, play with old white, you know, see my kids, obviously that's number one, right. That's number one, a million miles above anything else on the list. But any of those things where I get to help somebody else become better 
and bring that kind of energy to them, it's, it almost just pulls it out of you. You know what I mean? It's, there can be a little nugget of energy, just, just stuck down here, right. That you've just been working and, you know, grinding and going and going, and then you get to go do this thing that you love to do. And it's like this, and it just yeah, pulls it out of you. And the, the guys, actually the life guys, they got one of those the, the other day, yesterday, they got extra energy fill. <laughs> we, had a, we had an extra special session, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I love it. It's just, you gotta, you gotta continuously just push forward. And, and like I said, enjoy every minute that you get because, you know, things change and, you know, sometimes there's going to be circumstances that are tough to handle and you just got to keep pushing through those. And then once you get through those, you can really just you burst right through the other side and, and just keep working through everything and, and enjoy it as much as you can and be grateful for what you have when you have it. Right. So you mentioned some of these stumbling blocks. What, what were some of the big injuries that you had in your career then? Oh, injuries wise, I was pretty lucky to be fair. Um, I did after the 2011 world cup, I did partially, re- I retired partially because I had a lot of nerve damage. I didn't realize Right. I mean, I knew I had nerve damage. I would sneeze and my arms would go numb. Like that's not even a joke. It's not hyperbole. I would sneeze and my arms would go numb. I didn't do the contact portion of almost any training ever. You know, I just saved it for the game and I would get through my first one or two stingers in the game and then I would be okay for the rest of the game. What we found out was that I had actually fractured two vertebra in my neck. So I have two vertical fractures wow. um, in C2, C3, maybe? C3, C4? I forget how many Cs there are, to be honest. Cervicals there are. You, you'd you be able to tell me. I forget how many cervicals there are. I think it was three or four, if I'm not mistaken. But I have two two vertical fractures in there that had calcified, and that had caused some of the nerve issues. But I did a lot of traction work and chiropractic work and everything like that and was able to um, have that actually get a lot better, where now I actually don't, I have hardly any issues. I'll, if I get popped in a weird way when I'm, you know, playing or something, if, you know, just playing for fun, it'll, I'll get a little stinger here and there, like a little bit of an odd feeling, but nothing crazy anymore. But that was, that was probably the, the longest term when I tore my knee um, 2014. Luckily I didn't miss hardly any time because it was my the popliteus in the back of your knee that holds everything together. Um, right. So it didn't actually ever hurt. It just would lock in the weirdest times in the wrong time. So I'd have this knee <laughs> locked at like 90 degrees and I'd have to be, you'd see me jumping around the field, trying to kickstart a, a motorcycle. But then that still is every now and then that'll, that'll be my, uh, when I'm, when I'm an older, you know, when I'm a little bit older, uh, that'll be my, uh, that'll be my issue. I bet is, is my neck and my knee. Um, but overall the, the worst injuries probably were um, even though they're, I've mitigated symptoms and really, really good. Don't have any issues at this point long-term, uh, but concussions were a big deal. I've had, you know, I've had too many concussions. Um, so that was uh, probably the, the injuries that kept me out the longest would have been a concussion here and there. Now, now, now walk us through some of the concussions you've had kind of what, what did you feel and what was going on? Yes. I mean, my first big concussion, I was, I still remember I was a sophomore in high school. So, I mean, that would have been shoot like 13 or 23, excuse me, 23, not that young, 23 years ago, um, would have been, uh, yeah, would have been my first concussion. And I was, uh, it was bad. It was a really bad one. I, I still, I remember bits and pieces of that day now, um, but most of it's probably reconstructed from a bit of imagination and just knowing what was going on, but that was a really bad one. Um, that was a CT scan, the whole thing, just to make sure I was okay. I ended up being okay. It was about a week or so recovery and I was actually all right. Um, then. So when you say I, all right, though, what, what were some of the yeah, things that was I happening? Know, I, mean, I, I, had, I, I never was one of those people that would get sensitivity to light. I was never, 
Um, I was never too irritable. I'd get a little bit irritable, but I'm a pretty positive and jovial person most of the time. So I would recognize it if I was getting like that and just try to kind of like, Hey, you know, self-talk like, Hey man, you know, you're being grumpy, right? This isn't you. It's, you know, this concussion. Um, but never, you know, I never dealt with a lot of emotional stuff from them. I, I would have physical symptoms like a lot. Um, but they were usually pretty, um, acute and pretty short term. Like I would, throw up and that kind of stuff was pretty bad. Um, I do remember one time I got a concussion snowboarding. This was only a year after that other concussion. And when I was young, I was like, I was a junior in high school. And I remember the only thing I remember is waking up and my girlfriend at the time, my high school girlfriend uh, had snowboarded down the hill to get to me. And I was just waking up when she got there and she had never snowboarded before. And I guess I was just like bawling. And I was like, ah, you know, the whole thing. Wow. Now the concussions are funny, but to me now, you know, I can laugh at it now. And I remember, I still remember I was with some friends and we got in the car and I said, Hey guys, are we going snowboarding? And they were like, Oh yeah, <laughs> we've been doing that for hours, man. And I was just like, Oh no. So I would have some memory loss. I remember one with USA rugby. Uh, we were actually playing touch touch rugby, which was crazy. And I slipped in a patch of mud and somebody was jumping for a ball and it was just random one negative serendipity. Yeah. Right. And his knee just whomp, caught me right in the side of the head. I went down, did some more drills, got an assessment from our trainer at the time was a guy named Zach Vanonic. I haven't seen Zach. You might remember Zach. I think you might have been around. Zach, yeah. Zach Vanonic. And uh, he gave me an assessment. Great guy. He was trying to take care of me. And then a few minutes later, I guess I came back around to him and I said, hey, man, I think I got hit in the head when we were playing. And he said, well, yeah, you you totally passed your assessment, though. I think, I think you're okay. How are you feeling? And I kind of looked at him like, uh, and he said, you don't remember doing your assessment, do you? And I said, no, why do we not? <laughs> and he said, go sit down <laughs> and get out that of here. There is, that yeah. there is like the biggest thing right now with concussion yeah. assessments is they yeah. they just don't nail it all often enough. And uh, yeah, you'll see people even in the professional leagues. It's like, how is he back on the field? And some yeah. of the concussion protocols, they're just not there yet where not they can yet. actually tell what's going on in the brain and, and kind of that real-time situation. And, and, and rugby's that, worked really hard. Rugby's worked really hard to to fix a lot of that. And I know the concussion rates are down because you don't want to tackle with your head in rugby anyway, right? I mean, you don't exactly. want to put it in the legs. It's, it's not good. Um, but they've they've really worked hard. And when, we first, when I first started, it was like, are you Okay. Or yeah, I'm fine. All right, go play. You know what I mean? You didn't even know what you were doing. Back in the days of playing social rugby, it was like if you had a concussion, it was you'd have one beer instead of 12. Like (laughs) (laughs) it was absolutely insanity. Like look back at it now and just how how careless it it all was. But yeah, back then, yeah. And now they're, you know, they've got neurologists in there and they've got, I remember our team doctors, we had some amazing team doctors with the U.S. team and obviously at Life, we had great doctors, you know, different, yes, varying yeah, types right. of doctors, right? Different kinds of doctors. And everybody was always really concerned about that. And I always tell guys like, you know, if somebody comes off and says, hey, coach, my arm hurts. So, well, do you want to play or not? You know, is it an injury? What do we got going on? Are you just sore? What's, what's the deal? But if somebody comes off and says, hey, coach, I think I hit my head, go sit down go now, go talk to the trainer right now, go. There's no, like, there's no, oh, I think I can go back in. No, you got hit in the head, get out of here. You know, even if you feel okay, go get assessed, go sit down, see if there's any follow-up symptoms, the whole thing. I mean, and I'm no trainer, no doctor or anything, but I've been through that enough where I understand that, you know, that's nothing that you mess around with. And any coach that does, you know, should be, see you later. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, we mentioned that, that your wife, Melissa, is uh, 
is also an entrepreneur. But uh, what we didn't mention was that she's in neurofeedback. And yeah. uh, I, I've seen pictures of you with, with, the, with the cap on your head and the electrodes. Uh, what are a few things you've taken away from that? And what have you felt from the, the neurofeedback trainings? Yeah, so neurofeedback's great. I mean, as a you know, as a reasonably objective methodology, right? It's it's great. I mean, there's you know, they've come so far from you know, 70, 80, maybe even a hundred years ago was when the first bits of neurofeedback kind of came out with little green lights that were dotting and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've got, you know, databases of, you know, hundreds and thousands of normative brains. And everybody, of course, is different, right? There's neurodivergent people and there's all sorts of different stuff, but there's you know, there is, there are baselines, right, of the brain that are what we would consider healthy brains, you know, overall. And from, you know, neurofeedback, I, you know, I, I really liked it. It helped a lot with um, just keeping, I'm a really uh, always going kind of person. So, you know, just kind of filling that brain out a little bit sometimes, you know, in um, reduction. And I was never really an anxious person in my older, in my older life, younger, yeah, but not older life, but even just physical symptoms, that kind of stuff, you know, reducing those, you know, if you're, if you have trouble sleeping, I know there's a lot of people with insomnia that would have issues with racing thoughts and and they just can't turn that brain off. And I know that through neurofeedback, through, you know, different providers and, you know, Melissa's service, of course, um, and, and, and her, her business, you know, there's um, been, you know, I've seen firsthand people that went from not being able to sleep at all to sleeping, you know, six, seven hours a night, people that had symptoms of ADHD. Of course, you know, most neurofeedback practitioners aren't medical doctors, so they can never say, you know, come off of medication or anything. But I've seen people right. come off medication um, at the at the behest of their doctors from it. I mean, it's an overall, I think the neurofeedback is as part of a therapy system is a, is a fantastic, you know, fantastic tool as part of your toolkit. You know, you want to have more tools in the toolbox than you know what to do with, right? And then you choose Definitely. the best ones. And I think it's a, it's a great tool to have in the toolbox. I love neurofeedback. It, it was uh, one of the modalities I was uh, using when I was uh, at a couple of the functional neurology centers when I was practicing down in, this, down in the U.S. there in North Carolina mm-hmm. and then Ohio. And uh, just seeing, too, where it's developing into, into basically now assessment tools. And they're using yeah. basically a wave that uh, the P300 wave and basically what it's doing is it's measuring basically how quick your brain is firing so they've isolated it down to that and kind of the next steps is to okay well see basically at the acute concussion level okay what's happening because right now it's still kind of a a day or two off before they can make that assessment and as you said it's it's just one tool in the toolbox and yeah yeah, Yeah. it's an awesome tool and then uh too, you can also start to kind of measure some of the impacts that other modalities would have on you. So all the physical modalities, like the adjustments, the chiropractic that you've mentioned too, and and then Life University is doing some some good work there with their f- functional neurology. Center. Oh yeah, no life. Right. Yeah, they do a great job. Yep, right across. Yeah, yeah right yeah, across from the field. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's nice. You know, if somebody, you know, if somebody can get right over there. I remember I had, um, when I coached the Atlanta Harlequins, which is the women's, a women's premiership league team, we had, uh, two, two members of our team went in there. They were getting treated there for some concussions. And that was the first time I had been in there. This is probably, gosh, what was this five, five years ago or so. And, um, they were, they were awesome. And they, you know, the, the doctors and they were fantastic. The, everybody, the trainers and they were great. 
Um, all of the, you know, everybody that was attending to my athletes was just fantastic. And they, they're some of the tools they were using in diagnostic assessment, as well as treatment tools were awesome. I mean, they were like space age, you know what I mean? It was sci-fi kind of stuff that they were rocking out in there. And I really, it was, it was fantastic that a small university that's so focused on health has, you know, those kind of tools and um, at their disposal, at their disposal. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's amazing how it, how it all developed. Uh, and, uh, Actually, yeah, just kind of aside, like uh, when I had first gone to Life University, it was for the, the chiropractic and also for the mm-hmm. rugby program. And uh, I injured myself before getting there. And uh, to be honest, mentally, I think I was done with, with being that competitive too. Mm-hmm. And uh, luckily, though, from that injury and, and kind of just just uh, the competition being being so good there too at, <laughs> at Life life rugby that, uh, that, uh, I hung up the boots and then it was, then I found the, the functional neurology. And, uh, yeah. at that point in time, it was basically, yeah, a small little, little clinic. And then they had all the, the pros coming in from the NHL and other sports mm-hmm. and all sorts of other conditions coming through and oh, yeah. yeah, it just drove that desire. So, uh, it was absolutely amazing experience that way. So, how, how have you dealt with some of the transitions? Because I know you've made quite a few there and you mentioned them in rugby, but also career and uh, and then family life. Yeah, you know, just overall continuing to try to be competitive with yourself, right? Setting setting those goals and, and transitioning and understanding that, you know, life changes overall. I know some people, sometimes athletes have a really tough time transitioning and it's not always easy. I mean, you go from, you know, I mean, I, I was lucky enough to play in front of 70,000 people at Soldier Field, play rugby and nice. play in front of 30,000 people, 40,000 people, 50,000 people. I mean, those are that's those are cool experiences. You know, you're on the road, you're doing all that kind of great stuff. And then, you know, but then my thing is being home, like with my kids really ground me a lot. Um, they're they're amazing. And, you know, I, I would take. I would take five seconds with them over a career in rugby any day, right? You know, one second with them, right? Over a career in rugby any day, but they, they keep me really grounded, but just really one of the things I've taken to, especially lately um, is that, you know, you, you can't live in a life that doesn't exist anymore. You know what I mean? So you can still enjoy so many facets of that. I love coaching. I love playing like mostly for fun. Like I said, still, it keeps me fit. You know what I mean? It keeps me around groups of guys, you know, the the old white, club is a fantastic guys awesome guys we go do karaoke and have a great time together and are really just goofy and you know that i love that kind of thing that sports brings because a lot of people think if you know if somebody's a non-athlete they think athletes are all like we're big jerks right and it's like some are sure that's any group though right for the most part it's just a bunch of goofballs running around being weirdos you know what i mean like that's that's the best part of it right and so it keeps me in that but but being able to transition and live in the life that you have now and find all those things that you maybe loved before playing in front of people or the, the bubble of being in that competition or the goals and then finding new things to satisfy that and then realizing that you have something like, for example, kids that's going to be better than any of that ever, right? That ever could be. And just continuing to live in the life that you live now and, and being able to transition that I think is really helpful. And some athletes have a big, have a lot of trouble with that. You know, you see a lot of, a lot of depression in athletes and, and of course, concussions would be, a, would be part of that too. You know, but I think that 
you know, once you, if you mix things like concussions with that kind of going from, you know, being a gladiator, like you're Spartacus, you know what I mean? You're this gladiator in, in an arena. And then all of a sudden, maybe you're an accountant, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's a little bit different, right? So you got to take that and just continue to move forward and find all those things that you continue to love in your life and, and, and move forward with all those things. Definitely. Now, how much do you think kind of that, that depression side of things are from basically what's happened in somebody's sports career? And then on top of it, you're adding all that social pressure and, and obviously that self-pressure people put on themselves. Uh, do you think that is kind of the, the perfect shitstorm per se? <laughs> yeah, man, I, I think so. I mean, I think that every athlete can deal with bouts of depression. You know what I mean? Any person can, right? Shoot, not just athletes. Gosh, that wouldn't be fair to people to deal with depression on a daily basis, right? That have never picked up a ball or, or tackled somebody. Um, but I think that, yeah, I think that coming from just that change and not being able to move on from what you, you know, you were before, maybe you're, you know, this is actually funny. My daughter Mila and I love to watch the show new girl and there's uh, Winston's one of the characters on there and he's a basketball player in Europe. And there's one episode where he's trying to figure out who he is now. And everybody's like, Oh man, you playing basketball in Europe still. And he's like, do I look like I'm playing basketball in Europe still? (laughs) You know what I mean? And it's just one of those things where you, like you said, you've got that pressure and athletes put so much pressure on ourselves. Right. And, and for good reason, you've got to perform, you've got to be able to, you know, beat out people that are equally as good as you. And you're, you're trying to get an edge that's, you know, less than a, you know, it's a centimeter of an edge over those guys or, or gals, of course, people, right. Athletes and, you know, the, that kind of pressure. And then just identifying so deeply with yourself. I mean, I still remember, shoot, I remember back to my last high school football game crying on the field because that was such an ingrained part of who I was and rugby too, just like, you know, having a loss. And I see the looks in the guys, especially at life, because now it's, it's so serious and we have a great time too. You know, they, the guys have a great time, but it's so serious now and competitive that, you know, we lose a game and they're crying. You know what I mean? It's, it's a literal emotional and I'm sure the guy, I won't, I won't mention any names and I'm sure they wouldn't care if I did, but guys are crying after the game, you know, and you take something that's so deeply ingrained into your identity of who you are and you take that away. Right. And it's kind of that question, you know, one of the questions that I've heard people that have been depressed and then just going through school. And like I said, I just have a bachelor's degree in psychology, but we got to do a lot of research and reading and all that kind of stuff is people that are depressed. A lot of times ask, who am I? right? Like, who am I? I don't know who I am. I don't feel like I have meaning. That's a big deal with depression. You take away all that you built your whole life around this one meaning and you take that away. And some people, you know, they, they just don't have any meaning anymore and they have to find it again. And some people have really, you know, they have a lot of trouble with that. So I think, so I think it's a big deal. And like you were saying before, you add something like concussions on top of that, where your brain's working differently and it's had injuries. I mean, it's just a, it's a perfect storm for some people to have, you know, to have major issues as they, you know, as they try to transition out of that life. Right. How do you think other people can work with these, these athletes or other people basically having this transition with a brain that's not functioning the, the way it probably could be? Uh, what do you think the approach would be? I mean, for me, just from more of the having done gone through those transitions and things like that is, you know, just twofold. One obviously is, you know, counseling the, 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 mental, right? Mental side of things, right? I know your, your brain is your mental, your mental is your brain, right? You are your brain, right? But, um, but that mental side of things is, is opening up and not being, I think that especially for men, I think, especially for men, things have probably gotten a little bit better in the last several years with, 
the ability for men to be more, you know, open, sensitive, you know, guys don't make fun of other guys if they're sad anymore. You know, it's not like, oh, toughen up. It's like, oh, bro, what's wrong? You know what I mean? Can I help you? Can I talk to you? That right. kind of thing. Exactly. And, and going through going through that mental side of therapy, counseling, coaching, friends, family, all that kind of stuff. But then also that brain physical part of it and all that kind of therapy, like a neurofeedback therapy, like the, 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 the um, wave therapy, all that kind of stuff that you can put in that toolbox and have both the physical and the mental emotional sides covered, you know, to, cause you think about a concussion, it's not just, Oh, I feel bad or, Oh, I don't like light. It's my brain got injured. Right. So it's difficult. Right. I mean, you could try to give me all the rehab you want, but if my arm's broken, I can't do my rehab on my arm until it's fixed. Right. So we forget right. that the brain is, is, is that sometimes, you know, so that would, that'd be my thing is, is putting those two pieces together and really focusing on that and being open to do it. I think you, you just nailed it there that it's, it's multi-pronging approach basically. And the analogy I quite commonly use too, is that basically the brain and how it physically is working and how the body's working is kind of like the hardware of a computer. And then mm -hmm. the counseling emotional side uh, is the software to the program and that a lot of times where we're falling short is that we're trying to update the software when the hardware is not functioning properly. And uh, it is, once again, that combined approach, like you mentioned, that, that really gets people better. And, and then uh, the work you're doing as a coach, basically, to prevent some of this stuff from happening and um, keeping your players safe. I, I really applaud you for for the approach you're taking there and the, the leadership approach you're taking with, with all these high, high end athletes and, and future leaders here. Is there anything that uh, you'd like to like to say to, to everyone on listening to this and, and kind of send us off into, into oh, the end man. here? I would say, like you said, always take care of yourself, right? And then take care of the people that you love around you and everything, but take care of yourself. Because if you're, like you said, if you don't have your hardware and your software, you know, optimized, then you can't help those people around you. And, you know, we got to sometimes put yourself first. It's like the, you know, the old airline analogy, right? You got to put your mask on before you can help anybody else. And I, I think it. that especially for athletes that are transitioning, you know, we've all, I've gone through struggles with it. Everybody has I me, mean, nobody's perfect. Right. Um, but you know, if you're going through that transition, especially right now, or if you're a guy who still kind of lives in that paradigm of, you know, I'm just going to be tough and work through it by myself. Don't, you know what I mean? Find, find somebody that can help you with your hardware and find somebody that can help you with your software. And, you know, they will be find a professional, of course. Right. And, and open up to people and, and, you know, get yourself, get yourself through all those kind of things because the, the other side of it, you know, like I, luckily I didn't go through a lot of that stuff. Right. But the other side of it, when you can be happy and, and healthy with that kind of transition is really awesome. You just have to kind of live in that reality and, and enjoy every bit of it. Right. So. Perfect. I think those are great words to, to, to send people off with. And uh, once again, uh, thanks for tuning. Thanks for joining us, Phil and everyone else. Thanks for tuning in to the hearty brain, the show that takes, Athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. Take care.